Welcome to the Ignite Movements podcast, where we help leaders think beyond a one ministry mindset to a multiplication mindset. Today, we're talking about something that I'm just going to be honest with you up front is not very sexy. Uh, We're talking about church leadership and church leadership structure, and that doesn't really excite church planters at all. But if this is not done well, it can completely torpedo everything else you're doing. So uh, very, very important topics when we talk about church leadership structure. um, How will your church be led? Who will lead your church? uh, Who will hold whom accountable? uh, And most importantly, how can you avoid a ton of red tape? Uh, That's that's very, very important. I know as a church planner, uh, you're you're probably coming out of a situation where you felt like, man, there was a lot of red tape. And that's the last thing I want to see in this new church. That, uh, that God is starting. So uh, there are really two areas of leadership that, that, uh, that you have to focus on. One is, is the spiritual end. How are we going to move people in, in the disciple-making process? How are we going to move people um, closer to being more like Jesus? And, and, and so that whole process of leading people spiritually is, is, is part of that. It involves programming of the church uh, and, and what gets emphasized uh, across the church and that kind of thing. The other part is the administrative part. That's the part where a lot of you right now are already rolling your eyes and you're already like tuning out, right? Like that's not your favorite part. Uh, but this is who makes decisions about where money gets spent, who sets the budget, who sets the policies that we're going to operate by, uh, who handles staff reviews, who can approve borrowing money and buying a building. Uh, again, none of that sounds exciting to a church planner. I totally get that. Uh, but if these things are not done well, they can shut down the entire spiritual aspect of it. So very, very important stuff. Uh, and, and, and if you set it up really, really well at the beginning, hopefully it will be something that will be a help to you instead of a hindrance to you throughout your ministry. So one of the most important things I think to first think about when it comes to this area of leadership and leadership structure um, is is, is this concept, I think, of slanting everything toward the spiritual. We just talked about those two different ends, administrative and spiritual. And it's very, very easy at times to get bogged down. You know, we start thinking about the perfect administrative policies and things like that. And you get so caught up in that that you begin to, to not realize you're actually kind of saddling your staff and saddling ministry directors and things like that with, with policies and procedures and things that are just too much. Uh, and so slant everything towards the spiritual to freeing up uh, the staff and the leaders to, to lead from that spiritual side with, with the minimal amount of red tape, with the minimal amount of, of, of hassle and steps and hoops to jump through just as much as you possibly can. Keep that red tape down so that uh, you're only meeting over the things that are absolutely necessary uh, so most of your energy can be focused on ministry. Uh, and so that's really, really important is slant everything towards the spiritual side. Now, I think the second thing that has to be evaluated as you set up a leadership structure is the balance between accountability and leadership agility. This is so very important. And I kind of illustrate what I mean by that. When, when I started the Northridge Network, I wanted to make sure that our staff members who are thoroughly trained, who spend hours and hours researching things and thinking through how we can do them and the best way that we can do them, uh, and this is their life, and they invest everything they have into how you know how do you run this particular ministry really, really well? How do we make disciples in this particular area? I wanted to do everything I could to make sure they had the freedom to lead, to do that. And I think we've all probably been in environments where you don't have that, and it, and, it, and it's really, really uh, frustrating. Uh, years and years and years ago, somebody asked me a question, uh, and they said, what, what's the most frustrating part of ministry? And at the time... I really have not seen this uh, in, in, in our network, and I'm so thankful for it. But at the time, my answer was one of the most frustrating things about ministry 
is spending a ton of time and a ton of effort and putting a ton of research to a new concept that you're trying to lead the church toward as far as uh, programming or something like that. And, and you've looked into it. You've seen in other situations where it's worked really well for churches. Uh, it's a great opportunity. And you bring that to a leadership team made, made up of lay people. And, and, and after thinking about it for 10 minutes, they shoot it down. And that's, that's super, super discouraging uh, when, when, when you think, man, like I, I really believe with all my heart this is the thing. And you know, again, lay, lay, lay people have fantastic ideas a lot of times, fantastic, fantastic input. I've definitely had moments where I've gone to a meeting like that and they've said something and I thought, you know what? In my plan, in my great idea that I feel like God's led me t- toward and I've put tons of research into, I didn't consider that. And so in my rollout of that, I'm now going to consider that. But, but when it's just completely shot down and it's like, yeah, it just sounds like change and I don't like change and we're just, let's just don't do it. Let's just leave like things like, like they are. It's very, very discouraging when it feels like um, that, uh, that they don't have uh, the freedom to, 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 to really lead. And so, uh, you know, a student pastor may see that, that all the boys in, in, in his uh, youth group are playing a certain video game, wants to get a PlayStation for the church. Uh, you know, that shouldn't take some kind of huge committee uh, a meeting to, to figure that out and navigate through that. Uh, obviously, there's got to be financial accountability. That's a big, big uh, expenditure. But, but those decisions should be able to be made quickly. Uh, you know, on the other end of the thing, like if he's saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a, a, a rated mature uh, video game, then, yeah, there's got to be a system of accountability for that as well. So how do we balance Leadership agility with accountability. That is a very, very important question that you're going to ask uh, when it comes to your leadership structure. And, and the answer to that is going to either set you up to have a very fluid situation where decisions are made, uh, and yet at the same time, uh, if, if somebody needs to be held accountable, it can happen, or it's going to turn into a mess of red tape. Um, again, that balance between accountability and leadership agility uh, uh, which is the ability to make decisions and implement things quickly. So the way that I set things up when we started Northridge was a little bit different than, than a lot of scenarios. I wanted to basically set things up, and obviously this is a secular illustration, not a biblical illustration, and we're going to get to what the Bible says about leadership here in a second. But I wanted to set things up like a college football team. I felt like that, uh, you know, the reason that you hire a, a great college football coach, you go get Urban Meyer or something like that, you hire him to come in and, 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 and run the program. And if you're the college president uh, you know, and the, and the AD that hired him, you're not really thinking to yourself, now, we're going to have to check in regularly and, and, and probably give some input on how he runs things. No, he comes in, he runs things. He hires the position coaches he feels like he needs to hire to succeed. He runs his practices the way he feels like he needs to run his practices to succeed. There's accountability, uh, especially with NCAA principals and uh and uh, where the money's going, like that's super important. Uh, but for the most part, day in, day out, the college coach is able to run his program the way that he needs to run his program. If he is not winning, if he, if he, if you know, if he's losing all the time, then he can just be replaced, and the next person will come in and have freedom to run their program. Uh, and so, honestly, that's kind of how uh, how we set things up from from the beginning. Uh, so uh, Northridge is is pretty much an elder led church, which we see the elders as pretty much the campus pastors and myself. Uh, and so uh, the, the campus pastors are accountable to me. Um, I do their evaluations. I, I, I understand what a pastor should be doing. I understand their job. I understand their world. 
and so, um, and, and so I do their evaluations. I get input from their lead deacon from their campus, uh, but they're but they're accountable to me, and I do their evaluations. I'm the only they they do the evaluations of their staff members. I'm the only person who is evaluated by a lay team, and even in that situation, uh, I'm evaluated based on input that they uh, that they glean from the people who work uh, under me. So. So, uh, you know, I just felt like that I wanted to set everybody else up with maximum freedom that, hey, you're hired to do this job. You're hired to oversee student ministry at this particular campus. We want you to go do it, right? Like we don't want a whole bunch of red tape on you. Uh, We don't want you having to worry about, am I keeping everybody happy? Uh, You know, work well with your campus pastor, work well with the other leaders in the network, and let's, let's, let's just get this thing done. Uh, And so that's, that's kind of the approach that we have taken uh, through the years. So, you know, in a lot of cases, I, I know I know how we have set things up is, is risky because honestly, my accountability to the lay leaders, the executive team can fire me at any moment. Any moment. There doesn't have to be a vote. They don't have to get anybody else together. They can get me in a room and they can say, basically, we feel like that your leadership is not getting the job done. And so you're fired. And I know that can be risky. I've seen pastors who are killing it get let go by leadership teams that maybe were jealous because um, they, they, they felt like that maybe they used to have more power under the old pastor. And here the church is booming now. Or uh, they, uh, they didn't like some of the changes that the new pastor made. And so they, they just fire him, even though things are going really, really, really well. I understand that kind of stuff can happen. Uh, but in, in order to have maximum freedom to lead, I felt like I needed to have ultimate accountability, if that makes sense. And so that was our balance between uh, leadership agility and accountability. Uh, and so most, most people would set it up to protect the lead pastor and put all these hoops to jump through uh, in order to, um, to, to, to fire him. Um, but to me, the freedom to lead without a ton of red tape was worth the trade-off. So, uh, so that was, that's just our approach. Now, uh, let me touch on what the Bible says about leadership structure for a second. Uh, I believe there's two leadership positions spelled out in Scripture, elders and deacons. Now, um, some, some folks would say, um, you know, uh, that there's pastors, elders, and deacons. You know, we see pastors and elders as the same thing. Uh, and so uh, you know, the job description in 1 Peter 5 sounds an awful lot like a pastor, but he's talking about elders. Uh, in 1 Timothy 5.17, Paul refers to an elder that preaches. Um, and he does also indicate there there might be elders that don't preach, uh, but uh, definitely the, a, a preacher uh, is an elder in that, uh, in that context. And so I understand some people uh, have preaching elders and they have uh, lay elders as well. And sometimes those folks are appointed for life. And, and I'll just say, you know, from my opinion, I've found very few lay people that can really get in the shoes of what a staff faces and they have the theological understanding to handle a lifetime position like that. That's just that's just my that's my personal opinion. That's not a slight, by the way, because I will confidently tell you that I do not fully understand what doctors do, um, and 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 any any part of it. I certainly don't understand the medical part of it. I don't understand even the business end of how doctors function and how their 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 offices file insurance. And I don't understand any of that. Um, I don't understand. What pilots do. I mean, I understand they fly planes, but I don't understand how they do it at all. And and I don't feel like I could give a whole lot of input uh, other than can you know can we bring the the like the free meals back like and some legroom right. Other than that, I don't have any opinions about what's the best way to fly a plane. Certainly not the, the any opinions about how to run an entire uh, airline. I I have no idea how to do that. 
Uh, I don't know what attorneys do, and I don't really know the best way for them to go about what they do. And so, I, you know, again, that's not a slight. Uh, for, you know, I don't have the time to immerse myself to, to get into their worlds. And that's what we're asking when we look at a layperson and say, you're appointed for life, you're a ruling elder, you know, and, you know, that's just, just again, that's just my personal opinion. Biblically, I see it as pastors and elders for the same thing. So just, just so you know the position I'm coming from. I understand people see it lots of different ways, uh, and, and, and I get that. Uh, but, um, you know, you, you may disagree. But uh, I, I feel like that these two positions that are outlined in Scripture, uh, I feel like we definitely should follow what God says about them. We should have them carrying out the roles that God uh, has given them. Elders lead. Deacons serve the congregation in ways that free up elders to, leave, uh, to lead. Um, and so... Um, uh, at the same time, we we would um, we we would always get input from our deacons on any major decision. Just to just to make that absolutely clear, uh, our deacons uh, we rely on them a lot of times for input and things like that because they were chosen because they're full of the Holy Spirit. They're servants. They've been vetted for the fact that they love our mission and they love our vision and they they you know, they're helping push that forward. And, and they get they get what it means to push that forward. And so we're always going to look at them and say, hey, you know you know what we value, you know who we are. Here's what's in front of us. Does this seem like something that we should that we should jump into? Uh, and, and, and basically they are the cream of the crop of the congregation. Uh, and if they don't get it, like then we have a problem leadership wise, right? Like if they don't get it, they're on our team. They're rooting for us. They're rooting for the mission, they're rooting for the vision. And if they don't get it, we, we, we have a problem. And so a lot of times, you know we're we're gonna uh, we're gonna seek them out uh, for input. So here's where things take a little bit of a turn. I don't think the Bible would prohibit setting up other teams that that fulfill certain functions. Uh, for instance, uh, finance teams or finance you know financial uh, 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 team members or whatever you want to call it call it a financial board. Um, I, I don't see anywhere where it's just mandated that elders or, or deacons oversee the money. And so if you've got a group of people or a couple of people who um, are, are just amazing with finances and, and have uh, they, they, they've really gotten into uh, nonprofit uh, issues and they understand all of it from a legal, legal standpoint, uh, man, let, let those people run with that, right? I mean, like to me, uh, finances is something that I really don't want to see getting rotated on a regular basis where we get all new policies. Uh, we, we, we have to start all over with, okay, now here's the new hoops that the new person uh, people want us to jump through. Like, that's just not, I just don't think that's effective. And if you have somebody who can really crush it when it comes to finances, man, empower them. Uh, and, and so uh, also, uh, I, I think, um, you know, we also have uh, ministry directors uh, all throughout our organization overseeing first impressions and, you know, all kinds of different areas. We want them to be in our leadership team meetings. And so what we do is we have a leadership team meeting. We don't have a deacons meeting or, you know, whatever. We have a leadership team meeting. And with that, you have staff, you have deacons, um, you have uh, the, uh, the CFO or the treasurer, um, and, and, and the ministry directors. And so this just gives us a chance to hear from everybody, from all of our different ministries, from men and women, uh, as well as as, uh, all aspects of the organization. And um, ultimately, our executive team, uh, made up of the campus pastors, uh, the lead deacon from each campus, and the treasurer and myself, tend to deal with the highest level issues. Uh, and then we make our recommendations to everybody else, uh, uh, the rest of the leadership team, when necessary. And so uh, and so that's something that we'll talk about here in just a second about why we created that executive team. 
in, in just a second. So that's just how we do it. Um, let me give you a couple of things to consider as you're setting up your leadership structure, uh, setting up your leadership structure. First of all, um, what are you going to do when you get started? Like seriously, like, so you have a team of 15 people who are starting to work towards, uh, towards a launch, uh, towards pulling together more of a core team and then a launch. What, who's going to be, you know, who's going to be your leadership team at that point? I think you got to be really careful at, at, at that point, because first of all, you're a very fragile organization. Uh, everything could blow apart very quickly. Uh, and, and if you just pick people just because, well, we got to pull something together. We got to have a leadership team. You really, you really might make a mistake. So what a lot of people have been suggesting lately, and I think it's, it's a really good idea is your first leadership team might be people from outside the organization or mostly people from outside the organization. So it might be the pastor from your sending church, might be uh, somebody from your uh, church planting organization that you're working with, might be a pastor friend who really loves you and, and gets what you're trying to do and is excited about the vision of your church. Uh, and then maybe there might be a person from your actual uh, congregation or your launch team uh, that you would add to that as well. So just to thinking about who should that be as you start up, and then you can slowly transition to having just people from your congregation uh, on your leadership team. Another issue uh, that you should decide is how leaders in these positions are, are going to be chosen. A lot of times they're chosen just by popularity, right? Like I, I've been in churches where it's just like a ballot and everybody like just goes and like puts down who they like to nominate and whoever gets the most nominations, they put two or three of them forward and they vote on those. And you know, whoever was the most popular gets it. And uh, I've seen that go really, really badly at times. Uh, and so what we do, and again, this is just, I'm just sharing some ideas, but I, I hope it's causing you to think through what you plan on doing. Uh, but we take nominations from our current leadership team. And the reason that we do that is because we, we have, uh, we have folks on there. We have the, you know, the CFO and like he, he knows who is, is financially invested in our church. So, you know, if you have somebody who doesn't care enough to, to ever even give, uh, like, is that, is that, that's, that seems like that's an issue, right? Uh, but, uh, then you also have people who are out working in all the various ministries of our church and they're connected and they know the people who get who we are and what we do. So, uh, you know, we, we are taking those nominations from basically within the ex ex uh, existing leadership team. Now, some people like old school mindset is, man, that's just a recipe for getting a bunch of yes men together. You know, there's that whole term, yes men, yes men. Then the concept is, is the pastor's just trying to get a whole bunch of people together that just see things his way. Uh, and so that, that, that becomes a really, really big deal uh, to, to, to some people. Um, but I'll just be honest with you, in my experience, not a scientific study here, in my experience, Churches that go around just constantly worrying about the danger of stacking up yes men uh, on leadership teams typically enjoy a lot more conflict and a lot less pro productivity. I, I'm just saying. I mean, when you think about it, when your greatest fear is a yes man, which means basically you'd almost rather have a whole bunch of people who disagree with everything. <laughs> You're setting yourself up for a mess. So here's the deal. The point is not to protect the pastor. The point is not to protect the pastor. The point is to protect the vision. So we, you know, yeah, listen, some of my very best friends are on our leadership team and they will take me to lunch and say, I don't think this was the right move. <laughs> okay. Uh, they're, they're not worried about protecting me. They're worried about protecting the vision, but they get who we are. And if they sit me down and say, I don't think this was the right move. It's based on the fact that we say we value this. 
We say that this is who we are as a church. We say that this is our vision. And I think the decision you just made does not get us toward any of that. So, you know, just because they agree with the vision and the mission, the church does not make them yes men. In fact, that makes them the perfect people uh, for that. Now, and one other thing that we do is we have a leadership orientation. Take everybody through that that we're looking at. Sometimes we'll take more people through than we can actually fill slots that year. Um, and so it just gives us the opportunity to really dive deep into how we think, why we do what we do, make sure they really understand who we are, how we function as a team, how do we deal with conflict, those types of things. Uh, and we have found that extremely helpful. So you need to decide uh, what your church feels uh, like the, the Bible requires as far as leadership positions. You need to decide how you're going to start. You need to decide how you're going to choose and train leaders. You need to decide how you're going to balance freedom of day-to-day leadership and accountability. And you need to decide how to structure things for multiplication. And this is this is, you know, we talk about igniting movements from the very start. If you're looking beyond a one ministry mindset to, to, to igniting a movement, you got to ask yourself, are we, are we going to set this up in a way that can multiply? And so our, our church meeting structure right now is first, the first month of a quarter, local campuses meet just with their local leadership. Uh, the second month of the quarter, we, we meet uh, as, as an executive team and we already kind of described that. Uh, and uh, the third month of the quarter, uh, we meet with everybody. And right now, we're still doing that live. We're still pulling everybody together. That may turn into more of a Zoom meeting uh, in the future as we continue to expand and spread out. Uh, and so, um, so you know, local campuses may have issues that arise, and they may need to have a quick meeting over some things at times. Uh, we keep a lot of Marco Polo conversations going with our leadership teams as well. So, uh, so you know, those kind of things do pop up. Uh, at, at, at times, sometimes uh, after the, uh, the the full meeting with all the leaders, you'll see a campus pastor say, hey, and I need to talk to my, my leadership team uh, right afterwards uh, and, and, and that kind of thing. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the, the idea of the executive team kind of popped up for us uh, as we grew because we begin to understand that every issue can't be dealt with with 47 different leaders. It just it's just not possible. Uh, and so a central uh, executive team seemed like the type of thing where like a lot of a lot of decisions could be made and and in a lot of cases then after all the work has been done and the processing uh, processing has been done if it needs to be taken to everybody then they can come forward and say we did a ton of work on this here's what we settled on we just want you we want your all's approval on that so um, that's just that's just something that we felt like uh, streamlined things to help us make better decisions and be more agile uh, the last thing you need to decide on is what things will require a vote by the congregation. This is, this is really important, okay? Uh, so uh, this is something that uh, you really have to think through with multiple com- uh, campuses as well. So does every campus need to vote on something or is it just one campus? And so the, what, here's kind of the breakdown of what we do. Um, if a campus is replacing a campus pastor, that one campus will vote on that person. Now, we don't vote on who's starting a campus because we feel like that the leadership team has vetted that person, we've raised that person up, we're prepared to send that person out. And if you don't like that person and you would vote no on that person, then just don't go with them to start the new campus, right? Like, so you, you can vote with your feet. You just don't have to go. You stay right at the campus you're at. Uh, and so uh, we only vote on replacing a campus pastor. Again, we don't vote on uh, the staff members, uh, the other staff members uh, of a campus. That's something that, um, that, the, that, the, that the campus pastor... Uh, handles that, works with the leadership team, makes sure everybody's good with it, and then then we hire the person. 
so uh, what else do we vote on? We vote on uh, we vote on debt, and so if we are uh, if we're uh, going to borrow money, actually every campus votes on that, and um, we just feel like that every campus is legally on the hook for it because uh, we're one organization legally, and so uh, we feel like everybody needs to be on board with the idea that we're, we're going to go borrow money for a building or, or, or something like that. Um, every campus also would need to vote on changing the bylaws. So obviously, if we're making any kind of change in, in that way as well. So those are the three things basically we vote on. We vote on debt, we, uh, and that's everybody. We vote locally on replacing a campus pastor, and we would have to, everybody would have to vote on uh, any kind of change to the bylaws as well. So what I've tried to do here in this episode is give you some issues to think through, uh, to kind of decide uh, how things should be structured as you begin to set things up. Try to give you a little bit of picture about what that looks like practically for us, uh, but there's lots of ways to carry these things out in, uh, in, a, in a practical way as well. And so I'd love to see your comments or your questions about leadership structures that you've seen that you think have been successful or you've seen that have been effective or, again, questions that you may have uh, about various aspects of, of this particular area. So drop your comments below. And as always, if you find this content helpful, like, subscribe, share, and let us know if you have any questions you would love to see uh, uh, tackled as a future episode as well.